Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Welcome back, Keith Myers, to the show this week. Uh, we're talking free agency still, and uh, it's going to be a good show. I've been looking forward to it all week. I've kind of been out on the road bringing my daughter back uh, to live with us in, in Phoenix for a while while she goes back to school, and so I've been really busy uh, driving. <laughs> I literally timed the, the, the drive, Keith. It was 49 hours of drive time and over 3,400 miles. Yuck. Yuck. That's terrible. I I know. And let me tell you, just like we talked about the show before, or uh, my trip uh, before the show, every every aspect of it was just beautiful. Um, that, no, that kinda. was not, I mean, I mean, the idea was romanticized and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was, I had this romanticized vision of, you know, driving across the country and back and it turned into really, I drove into some, you know, lovely country as well as some not so lovely country. Um, but I do remember, you know, the, the good parts I, I will choose to leave behind the, the parts that I probably don't want to drive through again. I mean, it's just, you know, it was one of those trips where it was like, Wow, there's some, there's some, I don't know, like the environmental thing I thought that I saw personally was an eye-opening yeah. thing. Like people just kind of tra- trashing the environment and the landscape and the, it was just kind of crazy. Anyway, um, so we're, we're, we're back. back. We're, the, the, the COVID-19 thing still exists, mm-hmm. but we're a Seahawks podcast and we 
think that people just need a break once in a while and listen to some football stuff or whatever. Um, and that's kind of the way that we're going to approach the show. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about how uh, this whole thing kind of impacts the Seahawks and the NFL in general. But uh, we're kind of focused on bringing up legit news and ideas about the team and uh, whatever we can do to kind of provide a distraction uh, for folks, you know, while this thing's going on and, and beyond. So, Keith, how you doing, man? It's been a week since we talked and uh, it's good to yeah, be back. Yeah, I'm getting by uh, is really kind of how it feels. We are on um, quarantine here, so I'm not going out. My kids aren't going out. We are getting a little cabin feverish. So, uh, you know, now we're, we've, we've decided that as long as the weather stays nice, we're going to go uh, for some family walks and just avoid people and try not to touch things, but at least to get outside yep. and do what we can because yep. yep. we've got five more weeks of this and it's, you know, we just got to make sure that we're um, taking care of ourselves. So that's the word now just for schools being out. It's another another five weeks, and uh, you're also a, a teacher, so that really impacts and hits home in that respect. And uh, you know, I hear you about getting out, though. I think uh, tomorrow we're planning a touring on a hike, mm-hmm. so at least we can go out and isolate, you know, in the isolation mode and hike around and see some of the country and all that kind of stuff. So, so let's talk free agency. So lots happened since we spoke last. So we had recorded last. Uh, the last show about uh, a couple days before free agency actually hit. And um, so we haven't talked about anything really yet. So where do you want to start? Let's, let's start with our own team and our own guys and who left and who's kind of come in. Well, let's start, I was to say, let's start with uh, you getting a prediction really right. You said it was a hot take. I said I thought you were crazy and then it happened um and that would be George Fant signing a big contract with the Jets um as they up you know try and upgrade their offensive line um yeah you know and it's it's weird it's like a three-year 30 million mm -hmm. deal a 30 million dollar deal and you know there were three or four different linemen in the league that kind of got about the same sort of thing that was the the going rate other than Conklin uh, jumped up, uh, you know, 14, 15 million, whatever that was. But everyone else was kind of in that same boat. And it didn't surprise me that Fant was one of those. Um, I kind of thought about it ahead of time and I was like, yeah, it makes sense that somebody would would give a, a guy that's got, you know, a lot of upside a contract and a guy that's kind of baked in. We already know what he's got and it's not good. And a Fetty would kind of sit on the mm -hmm. sidelines. And that seems like that's pretty much the way everyone else looked at it. And it's too bad for a Fetty. I'm sure he's a nice guy and stuff, but nobody's going out there to, to jump on that to pay him 8 to $10 million a year. He's still out there on the market. I think he's going to be there for a little while. And, you know, he's probably going to end up having to take a one-year deal with somebody. Um, it's It doesn't look like it's going to be the Seahawks at this point. We've already got, you know, enough signings. We're probably going to draft somebody as well. So he's on the outside looking in. I would imagine somebody would probably end up throwing him, you know, like an, uh, uh, like a $4 million deal in the end, which is a sad thing, but hopefully he can use that year to rehab his, his image, maybe have a solid year somewhere and maybe look, you know, at a, at a longer term contract next year or something. But that's again, good for Fant. Fant, you know, ended up in a situation with the Jets where he's likely to be looked at as the starter in that contract in, at the left tackle spot. So that's a good opportunity for him. Um, what about the guys that we brought in, Keith? Um, 
Cedric Abuahi, uh, Brandon Shell, and BJ Finney. Let's talk about those guys and like what do they bring to the table that might be a little different. Well, what I thought was interesting about all three of these signings is they are not uh, the Jermaine Fetty, DJ Fluker, Mike Lupati type that are great mauling run blockers um, that have major liabilities in pass blocking. If anything, it's the other way around. Um, you know, Shell is a guy who is, uh, he, I mean, he doesn't grade out as being significantly better than a Fetty, um, but what he can do is pass block. Uh, what he can do is pick up a stunt. Um, what he can do is play without committing a hundred penalties. Um, and, you know, he, he can pass block. He's not a great run blocker, um, but he is a good pass blocker. Um, and so he comes in right now as the right tackle. Um, he's going to be your, you know, and I think, I think too, um, that we should point this out is that he wasn't really given any help on the, on the right side with a extra lineman Mm -hmm. like a Fetty was. Now he graded out similar. So there is some upside there that we may not have to use that position on the field as much to for an inline blocker necessarily i mean we probably you know still will to to a certain extent but he can kind of hold his own out there a little bit and then you mentioned the penalties i think that he was like uh, half of what Effetti has been throughout their their careers so that's a that's definitely a good upside and then you know paying him a two-year 11 million dollar deal um that's a pretty good value for brandon shell and his great uncle was art shell the Hall of Fame tackle, um, if everyone uh, that's old enough can remember that. So what do you think about the other two guys? Like, Well, first, let's start with Brandon Schell. What do you expect him, based on his contract, what do you expect from that signing? Well, I expect him, he is, as of right now, he's penciled in as the starter at the right tackle spot. Um, I expect him to be a slight upgrade uh, at a discounted price. And the combination of those two things means it's a great signing. Uh, I would have liked them to go find someone who would have been a more significant upgrade, but you know what? Oh, yeah, yeah. At this point, well, what do you think? Bit. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it during the show too. What do you think about about the overall strategy? We'll talk. Let's save that conversation. Let's talk about the overall strategy on what Schneider's doing overall. Let's talk about these specific players, and then we can get into that. So, how about um, Agbue? So this is. The tackle from the Bengals, former first round pick in 2015, but hasn't lived up to anywhere. He hasn't that. lived up to that at all. In fact, he's been kind of a first round bust. Um, again, he's more of a a pass blocker than a run blocker. Um, he's just also not been great. Um, and that was with him as at the left the left tackle side. Um, I think he is going to be a guy that's going to have an opportunity to. Uh, you know, basically be the swing tackle, be George Fant in this. They're not going to depend on him every down. They're going to let him play some tight end because that's he did some of that last year. And um, he is, even though he has that, that first round pick, um, you know, tag on him there, uh, people are expected, oh, this is, a, you know, a big, a big signing. It's not. He was a bust. And so they... They got him for for very little, and so now he's going to be you know here to play and hopefully uh, contribute. He signed a one year, th- one year up to three point three million dollar deal. So he's a, it's a highly um, cuttable. I don't know contract. how much. Yeah, I don't know how much guaranteed money is in there. 
but it's probably not much. I would think maybe 500,000 of it or something is guaranteed. Something that they could move on from if it doesn't work at all and he's just, you know, washes out with mm-hmm. the team uh, in camp. Um, BJ Finney, on the other hand, for me, I thought was a really nice value signing, Keith. I agree. Um, this is a guy who can start at guard and center. Um, he's versatile. He's been uh, good. He's, um, you know, it's just a, an overall nice player to have. He's a guy that uh, blocked for uh, Pittsburgh, right? So you want to talk about quarterbacks that hold on the ball a little too long and extend plays and don't give up on plays. Um, that's, the, you know, who he played with because of uh, Roethlisberger over there. And so a guy that can start at three positions, um, all the interior positions, uh, you know, it's a good um, good fit for Seattle. But again, a pass blocker more than a run blocker, which I found to be very interesting. Are you penciling in uh, Finney in that center spot in place of Britt? Or what's going on with Britt? Well, as of right now, nothing's going on with Britt. He's continuing to sit there. Um, I suspect, now that they've got Finney, that they will move on from uh, Britt at some point. But until they need the cap space, uh, they're going to hold on to him. And then we get to a point where they maybe they go to Britt and go, Okay, we're going to cut you if you don't take a pay cut. You won't get eleven and a half million anywhere. Let's make it seven, and you can stick around for a year. And so then they have, they'll leave Brett at center and they'll have uh, Fenny play at guard um, for a year, and then you know make that switch a year from now. So uh, I expect that to be one of the options as far as what's going to go, what's going to happen there. But you know, it really isn't a situation where they need to do anything just yet because they've got more cap room sitting over there. So let's talk about the player that everyone wants to talk about, um, Clowney. So we had entered our uh, thought process uh, coming into free agency with the idea that Seattle probably wanted to retain him, but we had mixed feelings about paying him you know, upwards of $22, $23 million. And then we hit free agency, and the market for Clowney was not as great as we anticipated and everyone else just kind of flew off the shelves, you know, in the past rush market out there. Um, and Clowney is left sitting there. And so it looks like teams really had a, a medical concern about Clowney as well as just the idea of paying somebody that's not impacting the, the actual, uh, sack, um, statistics, um, as much as, as maybe they wanted. And so Clowney's the remaining guy out there that's probably the, still the one and only premier guy left on the market, which favors Seattle um, in, a, in a couple ways. They might be able to get him on another one-year deal at a lower, much lower cap rate than they thought they might heading into this thing. And then possibly taking a look at a, you know, a longer-term deal that's substantially less than what they thought they might have to go in at. Uh, rumors are floating around at this point. Uh, Greg Bell, including uh, reports that Seattle offered Clowney a multi-year, like a four-year deal worth $18.5 million per year, and also is uh, considering a one-year deal below the $15 million mark. So how do you read that situation, and how do you feel like... John Schneider has approached this particular situation knowing full well ahead of time that they needed to solve the pass rush issue 
and this thing's kind of held them up a little bit. Well, I I think that this has been um, misplayed a little bit. I think if they they really want they want Clowney, they want him to come in, but they need to be careful because a team like the Titans are also trying to court Clowney, and they've also got cap room. So if they decide, you know, okay, you know what, we'll make it twenty million uh, a year, and boom, he signs there. Then what's Seattle got left? They got what they've got left on their line is the same guys they had last year, minus their best uh, defensive lineman, and. The defensive line was terrible. So you lose your best player. Yeah. You haven't added anything. I think that's uh, it's frustrating that they've waited that long. I mean, guys like Shaq Lawson and Dante Fowler Jr. and Jamie Collins and um, you know guys like that. They've been they were out there and they let him go. Yeah, Quinn Armstead. I mean, Armstead got retained by the 49ers. but yeah, you're Vic, talking tons Vic of guys Beasley, out there, um, etc. Right. Leonard Floyd. I mean, just on and on. Fowler to the, to Atlanta. Uh, some of the defensive tackles that, that penetrate a little bit. They're all kind of come off the board. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's frustrating to me. Um, I'm not one of those guys that gets frustrated about inactivity in general in free agency for the Seahawks because I think uh, the, the, the benefit of the doubt goes to Schneider and Carroll with the way that they construct and build rosters over the course of 10 years so to me you kind of have to trust the process a little bit and understand the reasons that they do things may not be we may not be privy to all those decision making key points along the way however when you know that's the issue up front they've come out and said it's going to be the issue and they want to address it in free agency and the draft and so forth and we haven't reached the draft yet um, but, and then have them have all this inactivity. I mean, the big signing essentially was bringing back Jerron Reed, who had an off year last year, and Bruce Irvin, uh, who had eight and a half sacks last year, is coming back, but he's getting older every year. We don't know what the long term impact of that deal is. Um, and that's it. That's all we've really done. Uh, Quentin Jefferson was, was let go, um, not let go, but he moved on to another team. Um, it's just frustrating in that respect in that we haven't addressed the issue that we know we need to address almost fully before we get to the draft. So we're not reaching. Um, and they just haven't done it. It's like now it seems like all the cards are on Clowney coming back. And if you're right, if he doesn't, that really puts us in a pinch. There's a few other players out there that's that we could still kind of maybe get. Um, Everson Griffin, uh, Griffin is out there and they've, Rumors are circulating that he's definitely on their radar. 13 games in 2019, 41 tackles, 8 sacks, 48 pressures. That would help, but only if you retain a guy like Clowney. If Clowney's out and you're then relying on Griffin and um, a guy like Bruce Irvin to be your pass rush, you're really going to be in trouble. Well, and Bruce so. Irvin um, is a guy that does rush the passer, and he does rush the passer well. But one of the things that the Seahawks learned when he was here before was that he isn't an every-down defensive end in the scheme. Uh, they wanted him to be the Chris Clemens replacement. They drafted him to be that, and then they realized that's not really what he's built for. Um, and they moved him back off the line in the base defense to the Sam linebacker spot to take advantage of his athleticism and his uh, ability to cover uh, tight ends and running backs because of his athleticism. 
and and yeah. that kind of stuff. And so, and then they move, you know, of course he, he moves up onto the line in the nickel and in obvious pass rush situations um, and basically becomes a situational pass rusher with other duties and non in those not when you're not in that situation. And that was the value or that was where he um, excelled there. When he moved on to Atlanta, he kind of did the same thing uh, when he went to uh Carolina, their defense is different, so he's he was asked to do a bunch of different things, one of which was rush the, the passer more often, and, and he responded with, I believe, eight, and, eight or eight and a half sacks last year, um, which was a good year for him. Now he's back. If the CX are depending on him to come in and be what he hasn't been at any point in his career, that's an every-down defensive end, um, I think they're going to end up being disappointed because again, you're not taking advantage of his athleticism and who he is. And it's a, it's a role that he hasn't excelled in, in the past. I think putting him back at the Sam linebacker spot in the base and then moving him up into the nickel, uh, is the right way to go with, with Irvin and letting him do a little of both. Um, and so, therefore, you're not getting an every down defensive end. You're still in the market for one. You just have your situational pass rusher uh, there, ready and available. So, I think that you're in a you're in a, a weird spot where, yeah, he does. He comes in, he helps, he fills a need on the defensive line and some pass rush, but he isn't going to be a major player on the defensive line. He's going to be a more major player as a linebacker. Um, he essentially replaces uh, Michael Kendricks on the roster, which I think is an upgrade. Uh, and it, the other thing that it does is it frees up Cody Barton, who can now go. He's now the backup at all three positions again, and it gives the Seahawks some leverage if they decide they want to, to uh, drop a guy like uh, KJ Wright, which I know would be super unpopular and, and nobody wants to see it happen, but that's a huge cap number for a guy when they've got his well, his I, replacement sitting on the roster. Yeah, and I think this scenario for something like that it likely increases if nothing goes on here with um, with Clowney because then the Seahawks will possibly be forced into a trade scenario. Um, this kind of reminds me of the, uh, the deal a few years ago when Marshawn Lynch retired and we tried to solve the running back problem for uh, a, a couple of years. And we knew it was going to be a problem that first year, but they didn't really solve it very well. They didn't do a lot on the offensive line. And then they had a rotation of running backs, including that guy from Green Bay. I can't remember his Lacey. name. That we brought, yeah, Eddie Lacy come in, Luke Duke local, uh, Luke Jokel on the line. That problem then perpetuated for a full year, didn't get solved until, you know, Chris Carson came along and the, the, the line kind of got solved. So um, the same thing's going on this year. We know the pass rush is going to be a problem. It was a problem last year. They're supposed to address it fully this year. And now, you know, we're five days into free agency and it's still a problem. So that, that kind of frustrating. Um, I still have confidence though, because there's a lot of different opportunities to create a solution here. Everson Griffin could be part of that. Clowney could come back still. There's guys like Shelby Harris that could play on the interior, uh, as a as a five tech slash three tech kind of guy, he's still sitting there. Uh, Sue's still sitting there out there. You could do you could create these situations where you could have some one year contracts that kind of solve this temporarily. Um, the other issue would be uh, guys like uh, du, uh, 
Barrett and Dupree and Judon and, and um, mm-hmm. Nadakwe, uh all have franchise tags, and Seattle could, in theory, create a situation where they trade for one of those guys. Um, and that that would um, that would really help, but we're gonna have to create some cap space to do that. And like you said, KJ Wright, Justin Britt, would and Ed Dixon were, are the likely cuts to accommodate that sort of a move. Yeah, and and it's one of those things where if you look at a year ago, uh, the Seahawks were in a similar spot. They traded for Clowney, um, and one of the things they gave up when trading for Clowney were was a guy. Um, who they were going to cut anyway. And all of a sudden the name is escaping me because I'm looking at all these names of people that are still on the market. Um, but he's on the market again. Um, I can't remember. My mind's a little bit of a fog. Sorry. I apologize. I know <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah. We traded those two guys away for, for the rights to, uh, to have clowny and, um, and plus a third Bar- round pick, Barkevious right? Mingo. That was the, who it was. Mingo, and then the other the other guy that we drafted, Jacob yeah. Martin. Yeah, and so they they trade. I mean, Martin was the Martin was the throw in to make the 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 deal happen. Uh, Mingo was a guy they were trading. They were going to cut him, so they threw him in and said, "Here, um, here's a guy you can cut him at, at no cap, uh, no dead money if you want, or he'll fill a role if you need him." Um, and so they th- they threw him in and. It helped get the deal done, and I could see that if you are, um, if you're a team that's got a guy that you know you're trading, like if you're uh, the Bills and you're trading uh, Judon, well, you know maybe we throw in a KJ Wright and basically be like, okay, if he feels a need, go for it. Uh, if not, then you know it helped us get the deal done, and we were gonna have to cut him because of cap space uh, and that kind of thing. And I think that would be a really again. Anything with KJ Wright leaving Seattle, it would be very unpopular. And uh, let's not. Well, I think we're in a situation, though, Keith, where the entire season hinges on having legit defensive line play. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the one thing that helps the defense out the most. We talked about this for weeks leading up to this. It helps the back end. It obviously helps creating pressure. It helps uh, generating turnovers, which gives your offense, which is, you know, a top 10 offense, more opportunities, et cetera. and so the whole thing is hamstrung by this clowny deal, which is really frustrating. You know, we knew what the, you know, the parameters were essentially going to be ahead of time and it just it hasn't gotten done. Um, it, it does point to a scenario where now you're going to kind of hamstring uh, your, your franchise a little bit by a trade and or you're going to reach in the draft for a player that may or may not be ready to help you in year one at pick number 27 in the first round, which we're likely to trade back on anyway. And after that, there's some shelves in the draft where it drops off pretty substantially for any sort of pass rushing um, help this year anyway. And so, uh, you know, it's it's less than optimal. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Long offseason to come uh, before training camp and even after that. So there's some cuts out there. There's some, you know, there's ways to, uh, to get other opportunities to find pass Russian players, including the draft and all that stuff. So we need to kind of go through this process, but it is a little frustrating sitting on the sidelines, not really having all the information, seeing this play out and having the problem still out there um, this late in the game in free agency is, and I can understand why people would be frustrated at that, but you just kind of have to trust that they know that they understand and they're, 
you know, they're going to do everything they can to try to solve it. So let's move on away from Clowney. Let's talk about some of the other deals. So we re-signed uh, Jerron Reed for a two-year deal. We paid, what, Keith, like $11.5 million, something like that, per per season on that contract. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Reed? I make sure that I get uh, that Reed? number right because um... – I think it was a two-year, $23 million deal. And that's a memory for me. I heard that, I think. Anyway, Jerron Reed's coming back. You know, Hopefully he can have a full year. I uh, missed six games last year with suspension. Didn't really get back into it. He comes back looking to, to hopefully um, have a rebound year um, for him. And then Luke Wilson came back. Um, they signed him to kind of a one-year deal that kind of helped plug the deal. So we'd already gotten Greg Olson before free agency started. Now Luke Wilson, Hollister's back on a um, on a second-round tender, which I thought was an interesting um, option for Seattle uh, to do, but it makes total sense. I, they do like Hollister, and that definitely shows that they do. And he's in their you know long-term plans. Um, they brought back Brandon Jackson and, and Joey Hunt and David Moore on original round um, tenders. And then, of course, Hollister that we just talked about. So what else? What else is going on? Well, Keith? they signed a bunch of guys, um, you know, guys that were with the team before. Uh, Brian Monet, who played a significant role in weeks, I think week one um, on the defensive line. I like line, him as a and prospect. The, and big, huge, like 360-pound defensive tackle. Um Jordan Roos, who they've been kind of grooming as a backup guard and center. He was the backup center once uh, Britt got hurt uh, last year. He is back. Um, Brandon Jackson, a defensive end who was a first-round pick a long time ago with another team uh, and has done almost nothing uh, his whole career. He's back to be that rotational backup guy. Um, Just a lot of... Yeah, I don't get. I don't get that. I I don't get that one. Well, I think it was just a matter of you can't. You you need guys, right? So you need. Um, That's you true. Need bodies. That's and, true. Yeah, there's no no guarantee that guy makes it. Out yeah, of camp, and there's no but. guaranteed money in the deal. So if he makes right. it out of camp, it's um, you know, two point one million. That's not a a, a thing that's going to hurt you. But it it's a guy that you know he knows the system. You know what you're getting out of him, and can be really helpful. Uh, if you end up short and right now they're short. So um, I kind of got kind of get it for that reason. Um, and then they didn't give up on David Moore. Yeah, they, that, that was Moore, the, they're going to give him one yeah, more. That's chance. the big one um, to me. I think was was David Moore was that because he was he was the third wide receiver option last year. Um, they went. They tried to go away from him when they when they got uh, Josh Gordon, but then they had to go back to him. Malik um, Turner got uh, some snaps in that that role, but then ultimately it went back to uh, David Moore. They see potential. They see a guy that they can get some production out of. So they've gone in that route, and he's they're going to give you know him and Turner are both back. So that gives the team uh, five solid receivers. Um, they go into the draft not needing a wideout. Now that doesn't mean they won't get one. That doesn't mean they won't be looking for, you know, to upgrade the position. But they've got a, a group of five that they like that they believe that they can uh, roll with. Um, it also, you know, you you mentioned Luke Wilson uh, to go with Olson and Hollister. They've got a uh, a tight end room that they like that they believe they can roll with uh, out of 
um, out of training camp and into the year. So uh, that's another one of those positions where it's like if they get something in the draft, great. If not, not going to uh, to really push for it, especially knowing that you've got Will Disley coming back um, at some point midseason. Uh, so that'll be helpful. To me, it comes down to, I mean, you're looking at, at all these guys they've done, basically they've kind of got their, their guys back, their depth, their, uh, I just don't see enough improvement. There isn't improvement. These are just guys that were already there. To, to, yeah. To, to raise the bar at all. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we literally just held court. Yeah. And, and, and that's okay at some of the positions, like at wide receiver and, and at tight end. I mean, you got Greg Olson, so that's actually, um, a potential upgrade. Uh, for one, one it, year. Do, it doesn't sound like they're bringing uh, Tedrick Thompson back and and Jermaine Fetty back. So, for you personally, <laughs> <laughs> this is a win. Well, yeah, right? I mean, Ted, Tedrick Thompson has been was was, was told to go get, seek a trade. Yeah, that's that's uh, now that shows you know clearly they're going to mm-hmm. cut him. And, and he he was just he was a guy. I mean, nice guy. Uh, everybody likes him. That that's one of the things that makes it hard. Um, Hardworking guy, uh, again, that makes this this kind of stuff hard. Apparently, flashes greatness in practice on the regular, um, according to multiple coaches. But you get out there on game day, and he just falls apart and just isn't a good player. Um, and in fact, he's not just not a good player. He is a genuinely bad player. And it hurt the team. And they had to go make a trade and bring in uh, Diggs to be the free safety. Um, and they drafted... Um, you know, a safety and they drafted another safety and they've been trying to move on from Tedrick now for a little bit. Uh, And they, now's the time. Now you've got, um, you've got Diggs, you've got Blair, you've got uh, Amadi, you've got McDougal, all four of those guys. uh, Plus Hill. um, Yeah. And, and uh, Hill in, uh, interestingly, has not been told to go seek a trade, uh, even though because he's been better, he has been the better of the two players. He just hasn't been able to stay on the field. He's the always injured of the two players, um, and so it's you know that gives them them that group. Uh, there's also a chance that they get a guy like Akeem King back, uh, who can you know factor into that um, and also play a little outside corner. Um, so there's different. You know what I wanted to mention hmm. today? Just the, I found out right before uh, we got on. Um, the Colts just released Pierre Desir, cornerback, their starter last year. And a very and, and not okay. He's a he is a good player, a very underrated player. Was there was a, a why would they release him? That doesn't make any sense to me. And we have a hole on the roster as the as a third corner right now, yeah. and he could actually push. You know, legit push flowers for starters. My 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 worry is that he loved it in Seattle. He wanted to be here. Um, He signed on the practice squad after getting cut in Cleveland. Um, There were chances for him to leave and go play on another team, and he said no. He wanted to finish out that year in Seattle um, because it was it was reinstilling the joy of football uh, in him. So Mm -hmm. he likes it here. The problem is that he, Seattle walked away from him. He did everything that was asked of him, was very good yes. in camp and in the preseason. And they chose, you know, because of the way the, the uh, salary cap and everything looked and the inability to trade Jeremy Lane, despite an effort to do so, 
um, they chose to let Desir walk. And I think he rightfully uh, is going to feel like, does he trust Seattle? That if he comes in and wins a spot, that he'll be given that spot. Um, I would love to see him back in Seattle. I'd love it. He would be a really nice third cornerback to add to uh, that list. I mean, really a fourth because you, we know we've got Amadi who's going to be uh, going to factor into the nickel. That would make make me feel way better about the cornerback position going into the draft if they could get uh, Pierre to sear back. I think so. You know that. Plus, they you know they may need a, a nickel guy to come in, um, a, a slot guy to play uh, and and compete with Amadi. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. They might solve that in the draft as well. A um, couple other players that are out there. I just thought I'd throw these out. If you're still at all interested or see, or you think maybe Seattle might be interested. Now, they talked about Gurley a little bit as, as possibly being an option, but he signed with Atlanta. Um, I wouldn't have cared for that move had we gone there. Um, but nonetheless, we had talked previously about needing a kind of a veteran, low-cost option uh, running back to um, to add to the Chris Carson mix while Penny's still rehabbing, um, not having really anyone else on the roster currently to take those main backup running back carries. And a guy sitting out there is Kenyon Drake still, age 26, um, which surprises me a little bit because he's a really capable running back and still only 26 years old. Um, do you think Seattle kicks the tires on something like that? They might. Um, I don't think he would come to Seattle because he'd look and he'd see the fact that Chris Carson is here and that uh, Penny's going to be back at some point midseason and be like, mm, no thanks. And uh, he'll go. But but every team kind of has their running backs somewhat set at this point in the in the. Yeah, year. I don't know. I mean, what, the truth is, yes, uh, but it's all a matter of. You look at a situation and you go, how likely am I to get significant playing time where I can show and get a big deal next year? And I think he's going to look at Seattle and be like, there are better situations for me. Um, do the Seahawks kick the tires and and see if they can, can get him on a one-year deal? Absolutely. I think they do. I think they do, and I think they should. Um, I, just, I think that if there's other teams interested, which there will be, uh, you're looking at you know, guys that are going to, uh, he's probably not going to end up back in, end up here. I'm more interested in a guy like, um, Donta Freeman, who was with Atlanta, had some, um, some injury concerns and, and, and that kind of stuff, but, uh, offers, you know, some, something unique to Seattle's offense with the, his, uh, you know, straight line speed and, and that kind of thing. So he would be a, mm-hmm. a nice change of pace back to Chris Carson. Um, it, when we're getting into that point in free agency too, Keith, where the deals start happening. So where you're shocked almost at contract uh, offers that some of these guys get and accept uh, like one year deals that are really under market. Like, you know, a guy like Robbie Anderson we talked about initially in, in free agency is still out there. Wide receiver, 52 catches last year, 779 yards, 5 TDs, 15.0 average. Guy kind of takes the lid off a little bit on the offense. Um, 
and he's still sitting there. I don't know why he's 27 years old. A guy like that in Seattle's offense would be absolutely amazing. And if you get that guy in a one-year, $5 million deal or something like that, man, go do it. And Brashad Perryman, same sort of thing, 26 years old, gives you that uh, that option on a bigger guy, 36 uh, receptions last year, 645, 16. Randall Cobb, a guy Devin like that Funches. The, yeah. Um, I, think, I think Randall Cobb got signed, didn't he? I can't remember. Um, and then if he, um, if he did he, on the 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 thing I'm looking at, it hasn't been updated then because he's uh, gotcha still listed as unsigned, but that's possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, there. How about backup quarterback like uh, PJ Walker from the XFL? I know Seattle kicked the tires on him. It sent some scouts out there. He's interesting because um, they can sign guys from the XFL on Monday morning, nine a.m. He was 5-0 and as a starter with 1300, over 1,300 yards, 15 TDs, four interceptions. A guy like that is interesting for me as a developmental quarterback, which we haven't had in Seattle for, it seems, forever under Russell Wilson. And then the guy he threw to all the time there, Cam Phillips, 455 yards, nine touchdowns for the Houston Roughnecks. <laughs> um, to me, you know, you bring in some... Not necessarily NFL proven, but they proved it at you know a pretty decent level in the XFL for just a little short period of time. So, you know, somebody like that in camp would be not a bad thing. Oh no, not at all. In fact, they usually go and they have somebody who, um, even if they've got their uh, their backup, you know, mostly solved, like they did when when it was Tavares Jackson. Uh, they would still go and they'd bring in someone because you need arms in camp to uh, just make sure that all of the receivers and, and tight ends and everything can, can get the work that they need. And so to go get guys that are interesting, that are promising, that maybe have some upside and, and you go, hey, can we teach them? Can they, will they learn? Can they pick up the offense? And then you, if you've got something that you can work with, you go, hey, well, maybe we don't need that Um that veteran backup that's making, you know, 3 million a year, we can get by with a, a young player who can do all the same things, uh, at, you know, 700 grand. And so that's the type of thing where I, I would actually be really, uh, pleasantly surprised if they went and they got a guy like him just because they just haven't done that. They've been too busy wanting a Brett Hundley or a Geno Smith or a Tavares Jackson. They've always had that veteran backup mentality. And it's been a while since they've had a guy that could um, truly develop in that backup role. And I don't get it. It's not like it costs anymore. And it's not like they're seeing the field you know, in, in a general sense, um, at all. And so you might as well bring in a guy that has some serious upside, you know, why, why just bring in the clipboard holder guy? Why not bring in a guy that could actually legit start a few games for you if you had to and, or move along as a chess piece in a, you know, trade or whatever, you know, down the road, if you felt like you could move on from a, a player that had some value to another team, uh, to me, it's, I just think it would be a no-brainer, but obviously they do this for a reason. I just don't know what that reason is. Well, the is. reason is is it comes down to uh, trust. And <clears throat> if Wilson were to go down and not go down for the year because then the season's over, at that point you're in tank mode, um, whether you want to admit it or not. But if Wilson were to go down for two games and you need to 
hold serve for t- for two games and get out of there with a win or whatnot to preserve playoff positioning and and give your give your team a chance while you wait for for Wilson to get back. Um, you could do that with Geno Smith. I mean, he's not going to go win you games the way Wilson does, but he's not going to go lose you games like a lot of the really bad quarterback backup quarterbacks that we saw a year ago um, very much could. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, last year was the year of the backup. The year you know, of the bad. There, there was what eight, eight or <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a there was a couple that that actually emerged. I mean, that guy from Washington State, Mishu, uh, uh, yeah. uh, down in Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah that, he came in. In fact, in fact, Folds was uh, traded yep. he because a, he came he in. He is now a bear because yeah, um, yeah Mishu came in and and played pretty well. Um, you know, Kyle Allen with the Panthers came in and, and played okay. Like it wasn't terrible. Um, and granted, I think they've, uh, gone and, and gotten Teddy Bridgewater. So they're clearly moving on from, you know, from Allen, but he at least got himself out there as, Hey, there's a name of someone who might develop into, you know, that middle tier, uh, quarterback here in a year or two. And so, uh, there there were a couple, but there were some there was some awful quarterback play last year. I mean, let's not let's not like. I mean, it it, it was bad. It was, um, it, it was genuinely bad in a lot of places. And uh, the fact that you know the Seahawks were sitting on a guy like Geno Smith uh, was kind of reassuring because they had the ability to uh, know that if Wilson got hurt and they were in that same boat as everyone else, that it wasn't going to be quite as bad as it was elsewhere. So, okay. So how do you think that free agency is going to proceed from here? Obviously it's way, it's way slowed Mm -hmm. down. Uh, You know, there's still a few names out there, but you know, the whole thing's kind of over in a sense. And now you're just kind of adding little pieces here and there. How do you think this plays out for the Seahawks in the next couple of weeks or even until the draft um, to address what what's left over as far as needs. Well, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a um, a bunch of guys signing, you know, one year deals with very little guaranteed money um, that are, you know, they're they're draft hedges. They're you're you're a guy that's uh, coming in that is going to be a. Um, if we get a guy in the draft, great. This person's either going to become a backup or they're going to be cut. Um, and, or, but if we can't, if the draft falls in a way that's completely like not helpful for, you know, for the team and the position, then they're going to let, uh, they'll let that player go, um, out there and play because that's what they signed him for. Um, so you'll see a lot of that, but before, well, really, I mean, during all of that, all of this still hinges on Clowney. They are going, to sit, they're going to wait, they're going to see if they can make this work. Um, they're going to be in contact with Clowney or his agent literally every single day, trying to be like, hey, come in, let's just get this done. Um, you know. Do you anticipate him coming back on a one year deal? Or do you think that he, quote unquote, settles for a long term deal that, that gives him some assurances uh, with some guarantees? is better for the team cap wise than a one year deal would be. Um, and, and that's why you would look at a, at a, 
at a multi-year deal for the Seahawks at like 18 million versus a one-year deal at 13 million. The reason for that is because you can't blend that mm-hmm. that cap out over the course of four years and take a lower cap hit maybe this year. Um, so that the one-year deal makes sense. Either either deal I would be happy with, to be completely honest, um, just so that we can get through this yeah, year. Yeah, I don't, I don't think know. it'll be, it would be 13. I think it'd be 15 or 16 if he signs a one-year mm-hmm. deal. Um, and honestly, I would, I would, I would do either, um, whatever Clowney wants. I think it's not in Clowney's best interest to sign a one-year deal because of his injury history. And he has a, is a guy that, you know, plays 12 games a year. He doesn't play 16 games a year. And if he can, uh, if he does, has that again, or if he next year it's instead of 12, it's 10, um, you know, he's looking at losing money by not signing the the longer settling deal. Uh, if I'm him, I'm, I'm, if I'm his agent, I'm advising him to take, take that 18 and a half and just roll with it and just be like, you know what? That's still a lot of money. Enjoy it. You really like Seattle. You like the team. You like the coaches. You like your teammates. Be happy. Um, and, yeah, and if, uh, but at the same time, I'm also telling him, give it another week. Let's see what the Titans do. Because if the Titans, you know, decide mm, we we traded uh, Casey, now we've got a a we've got a, a hole on our roster. And we want Clowney. Maybe we up it to twenty million a year, and we just bite the bullet and do it. And then, you know, then Seattle's left out, but they would be able to get the player they wanted. Um, the Seahawks are all in on Clowney at the moment. If he goes to the Titans, what that means is that. Um, you look at guys like Judon and um, the guy in Jacksonville whose name I struggled to pronounce. I'm not even going to try this time. Um, Yannick, Yannick, Nick, Nick, exactly. Nicoe, yeah. <laughs> Nicoe, something like that, right? As you, you, um, you double clutched on that three times. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's hard. It's, it is hard. Sorry. <clears throat> so, yeah. we, I should try to re- memorize that thing, but I'm not going to memorize it until he's actually a yes. Seahawk. So, so yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, yeah, interesting. I I think they end up signing Griffin, um, even if Clowney's still sitting out there. And if Clowney decides to sign with Seattle, I think they end up with both of them. Um, and then they end up cutting Brett or somebody like that to make the room mm-hmm. to do that. Because I think you can get Griffin for 8 to $10 million on a two-year deal and or, or three-year. And... Um, and then if Clowney comes back, great. If not, then you move on. You maybe work a trade. You definitely are pressed in the draft, you know, or you 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 make it up somehow by signing a guy like Shelby Harris or a guy that like Don Terry Poe or uh, Dynamic and Sue um, to beef up that interior of the line and figure it out on the edge. Um, as, as it goes on and through training camp and, and you look for cuts and all that kind of stuff to help on the edge because you just got to do what you got to do. I mean, you, you said it. They've gone all in on retaining Clowney at this point, it looks like to me. And um, if they don't get him, then you've definitely got to go to plan B. And I think part of that plan B is to just sign Griffin and um, take, the, take the 40 tackles and eight sacks and, and pressures that he provides you and um, and hope Clowney comes back. And if he doesn't, then you just got to figure it out. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, that's true. And then the other thing is if Clowney goes to, um, if Clowney does go to the Titans and you go, <clears throat> you're uh, Yannick from Jacksonville who has no interest on returning there. And if they, they've tagged him to trade him, he will hold out every possible second that he can um, all through six weeks or seven, depending on um, you right before the draft. No, I mean, he'll hold out into the season. Oh, okay. um, Okay. uh, And and not play for Jacksonville as long as possible under that, that cap or under that tag and try and get to free agency next year. Um, And so I could totally see, uh, in a situation where they want to move him because he does not want to be there. He's like, come out and said, so you think they'll just do a, a clowny 2.0 situation. They might. Um, they'll ha- I think they'll have to, I mean, yeah, I, lower the, the l- they'll lower, lower what they want from him from like a first round to a second or third round. And it, it'll be a 2021 pick instead of the 2020. And then we'll have him on the one year deal promise not to tag him. So he can reach free agency next year and the whole thing. No, well, really? I don't know if they'll do it completely that way, but what it'll be, it'll, it'll be a situation where, um, cause when, when it was with Clowney, they reached out to Clowney and they, they did promise not to tag him if you would sign and, and, and come over. Um, but I think, you, you know, you're looking at, at, um, Yannick, he wants a deal. He wants a deal now. And if the Seahawks go, okay, um, we're going to trade for you. And, but if we do, here's an offer at 18 and a half million, um, throw that out there with, um, you know, the, the, the clowny money. And that's about right for yeah. him though. And, and throw that out there. He's a little bit more one dimensional than clowny. He is. is, but he's dominant and worth it. And, totally. um, I agree. So, yeah, no, so, you, right. so you, you, you set that offer on the table and you go, Hey, look, if we, if we trade for you, you know, where you sign this and, um, See what he does, because if you can get that worked out ahead of time, it makes trading for him easier. Because sure, you're giving up a draft asset. But I would, I would back. at this point almost prefer a guy like Yannick on a trade, and then go out and get Shelby Harris for eight eight million dollars to be your kind of clowny, essentially. Um, I think I would feel really pretty good about that outcome, considering where we're at in the process right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, anything can happen at this point. Yeah, so. getting a guy like uh, Sue to be your clowny, especially because the, the league has definitely um, soured on him in a lot of different ways. So he might be able to get him fairly on the cheap. I'm not like four million. No, oh, totally like, on the like cheap. Six. Um, and yeah. and have him to come in and be that uh, starting five tech uh, guy that can, you know, do a lot of different things there and then, you know, get Yannick. Yeah. He'll set the edge for you. There's no question. I mean, I like Sue. He's, he's okay. You know, he's not as dominant as he once was, but he's not a bad player. And so, you know, and if he is, if if he is motivated um, and, and, you know, you come to a Pete Carroll team, I think he'd probably end up flourishing here um, for, for one or two, two years. Yeah. So if you can, if, if you, if they have to move on, they trade for Yannick and then you go sign a guy like Sue to be on the other side. Now you fixed your defensive end because you've just given yourself two starters, two legit starters. Um, one is a star. One is an aging former star. Who's not as good as he used to be, but still good. Um, but you fixed that and to go with two defensive tackles that you like, that you think are legit starters. Um, I think you've got a defensive line that you can roll with. You are very shallow. I mean, there's no depth 
uh, on there. Well, there's Bruce Irvin. That's it. And then you, you whoever you. Yeah, there, there, that's what I'm saying. Is there's there's no depth at all. And Rasheem Green, and you know, you're hoping you're hoping that your draft pick from last year kind of steps up a little Collier, bit and helps yeah. you. <clears throat> Collier, I mean, and I think he probably is able and ready to step up. It's just not proven yeah. yet. So you can't rely. No, on and it. so um, I mean, yeah, you do have Green and Collier, but again, those guys both play the same position. They're both kind of. Um, they're not real position diverse. They're five tech, three tech guys. Um, and that's it. And so you need another guy. I guess you've got Monet who could be your backup nose tackle and you could use another speed rusher. And there's, you know, there's just a lot going on there. There's not a lot of depth and they need to go get I just, that yeah, I f- in the draft. I feel like we're really de- uh, counting on the draft now, like normal years, John Schneider goes out and kind of solves all of this before you get to the draft. And you, so you get to the draft and you don't really even have a position that you can identify that you absolutely have to have out of the draft. That's the best position to be mm-hmm. in. <clears throat> now you go in, you would go into the draft. If things kind of stay wh- where we're talking about, you would clearly need help, you know, um, at, you know, at maybe right tackle, maybe at, defensive end one of the two defensive ends preferably one with speed you know i think that's the thing that's lacking the most on this team at least on the defense is team speed on the defensive side of the ball and we haven't really done anything to help that other than bruce yeah bruce Irvin's kind of the the big piece there because that gives you a lot more speed uh at least especially if he's playing defensive end and he moves up there that's a lot of team speed there that can rush the passer or also if he's got to turn and get outside on a running back that releases, he's a guy that with the speed and athleticism to do it. So that actually helps quite a bit. Um, getting Cody Barton in there for Kendricks, uh, if that's how it, how it goes down, that increases the team speed. Um, so, so there is some, but you're right. There, there is this need for uh, to increase the speed of the defense and they haven't done that. I think they've, They've done all the hedging they need on the offensive line because they've got themselves um I agree. You know, a right tackle and a, a guard and um And they've got some guys that they guy. can develop. Yeah, and they, they still got in Haynes and Jones. Jones. Yeah, both guys both right. guys that look like they could uh, and Postic is still sitting in there too. We I don't want to completely discount him. He does have some upside if he can stay. Yeah, healthy. he looked actually really good at the beginning of last year before he hurt his back. Yeah, so yeah. um so yeah. so they've got They've got kind of their draft hedges there. Uh, you know, they're, they're okay kind of everywhere except for the defensive line and cornerback. Like that's, that, those I are the... Know. And it makes me really nervous. I don't, I don't want, it's almost unjustifiable because I know that they'll probably end up solving mm-hmm. it. Um, but it's still, it's the unknown at that most critical position that we all knew ahead of time. Like before the free agency started all that, it's still the part that needs to be fixed. Which is just, it's a little disconcerting. Well, this, this, so. And the anyway. one thing to keep in mind, though, is this Yucks do have a ton of draft capital this year with all those picks in the top, you know, 100, 150. Uh, that's a, a lot of picks in that range where you're going to go get good players. You're going to go get players that you can depend on. Now, going in knowing you absolutely have to get a defensive lineman and you absolutely have to get a corner makes it harder because it means they're more likely to reach and not wait for the, let the draft come to them. But they can still get good players because they have that draft capital. They're not like, oh, if we don't get a player at 26, like if they move back into, you know, 32 or 34, 
um, and they lose out on the one guy they were looking at. And then they're just uh, completely like, oh, you know, we're in trouble now. Um, Well, and they could go, you know, they could uh, use the second pick of of the two in the second round to move mm -hmm. up. So if they really needed to, they could move slightly back from 27 and they could move up from one of their second round picks back into the middle of the second round. So they could end up with two players in in between picks, say 30 and 45 that could really come in and and help you right. Yeah. So you could go get your, um, you know, your, your edge guy and your cornerback, uh, with those two or, or, or that kind of thing. They've, they've got some flexibility. They've got some stuff there. It's not ideal because ideally they would, um, have those veteran presences, those hedges there on the roster. Sure. So if the rookie comes in and shows really well, they become the starter and you can let that, uh, you know, the vet go or, or move them into a backup role or whatnot. Um, but you don't have to if if something's slow or somebody gets hurt. Uh, so there, I mean, there's yeah. Well, and and roster building is a year round process. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't all have to happen in uh, before April first. Um, you know, they can build this thing all the way out until the season starts or even slightly afterwards. Um, and it's just you know some you're used to having things solved and figured out before the draft, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be that way every single year, and it will still work out. Mm-hmm. So. Just gotta. It's just one of those deals where you just gotta kind of trust the process. I keep saying that, but it's true. You just kind of have to trust the process and and allow it to happen and use the full off season to build the roster, not just a two week window. Yeah, and I think that the uh, the track record speaks speaks for itself, right? I mean, the, exactly. Uh, in ten years, they made the playoffs eight times. They've been to two Super Bowls. They've won one. Uh, they are good at this part, even as frustrating as it can be when you watch guys like Dante Fowler Jr. You know, go and I and know. and that kind of I stuff. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it can be, um, it can be frustrating, but at the same time, the re- results are kind of there. I mean, part one of the things that that I look at with this is if the Seahawks are making this transition because. Uh, Russell Wilson came out and said, one, I would like more weapons. Two, I want the offense opened up. Um, and they went out and got <clears> three <throat> offensive linemen that are pa- great at pass yeah, blocking, which is really they're interesting. better at pass blocking than run blocking. Um, and Pete Carroll came out and said, yeah, you know, it's, it is one of those things where we know that the offense is better uh, when we go to the hurry up and we, we, we loosen the reins and He's like, yeah, it's philosophically, it's hard to do that, but you know, maybe, maybe we have to, and and that kind of stuff, and go, okay, well, that those are all great signs. Those are things that we want to hear, and um, and and do that, and still have Chris Carson and Rashad Penny, uh, you know, uh, to be back yeah. there, uh, <clears throat> to take the load when it needs to be taken. You know, I think that's a good, it's a good kind of place to be on the offense. I think I'm not worried about the offense almost at all. You know, they probably pick up a couple pieces in the draft and most of the focus is on the defensive side, which it should mm-hmm. be. But if they pick up a, you know, a really solid tight end or pick up a really solid wide receiver or, or a offensive lineman in the, in the draft, I'd be pleased if maybe they go running back. I don't know. But the, the defense is where you're going to end up spending all the resources, I think, in, in the draft, at least probably five out of the eight picks. Well, and if the, and, if and, the Seahawks open up their offense a little bit and they go from being a team that scores, you know, 
24, 23 points a game to a team that scores 28 points a game on average or, or, or that kind of stuff. Well, maybe the defense doesn't have to be as good, um, you know, because instead of trying... Well, it can't be any worse. Well, true. But, I mean, we were 27th But last that's year. what I mean. Like, the goal isn't to be 27th. The goal is to be top 12. Um, and maybe they go, well, if the offense is significantly better than it has been, even though it was a top 10 offense, if it goes to being a top four offense or top five, well, if the defense slides down and instead of being a top 12, which is what they think they need um, in order to compete for a Super Bowl, it drops into the 15, 16, 18 range. That's still a winning strategy because the offense got better. It's not just the defense. It's, it's a combination of the, as the whole team. So uh, the fact, if they open up the offense, it might be okay if the defense isn't as improved as we want it to be. Well, if that were completely true, I think we'd see a little bit more resource spending on the offensive side of the ball, um, like in free agency, maybe in the draft. I mean, we'd, we'd get a little bit more speed at, at running back instead of having bruisers, um, especially as a patch catching kind of thing. I know Homer's out there, but still, you might look to improve upon that. You might add a speedster wide receiver and make it a priority. Um, you'd bring in a Bobby Anderson to come in and take the top off the defense. You've already got two guys um, that can take help the top you off the defense. Yeah, but you yeah, but you could always use another. True, guy. but what I'm saying is, especially if you're I'm, talking about increasing production from 24 points a game to 28, yeah, you got to find those points somewhere. You, you, and you find that by not having the slowest paced offense in the entire league. You'd find those extra points by not handcuffing Russell Wilson with. Uh, more running plays than every team in the league, but two. Um, you let Wilson do, be well, and Wilson. You have, and you create more opportunities for your offense by having your defense be a little bit more stout up, up on the, the front line and give you more opportunities to, to score yeah, points. Yeah, so by, by, by a, fill, a, a philosophy change, um, you make the offense better. That's helpful. And then if you can't, right? And so that's where what I'm saying is you don't have to go get all this extra talent to make this offense better. I you agree. Just have to get I agree out to of a certain Russell extent. Wilson's way and stop handcuffing your franchise quarterback. If you can do that, your offense gets better. Just on a philosophical standpoint, um, you become a better offense. And so now you can still invest all that, all your stuff on the defense and trying to make the defense better. Um, so you go from 27th, you can get up into the, into the teens um, or preferably the top half and be better yeah. overall. No, I can I can see exactly what you're saying. I but, agree. Uh, uh, removing I agree. the handcuffs from the offense has to be the way that this team improves. I think it was more likely. I just went into the offseason thinking it would be more likely that that would be impossible, given the fact that Shoddy is who he is and, and Pete is who he is. And or turning the attention to the defense and get the get the defense from twenty seven up into the close to the ten range, I thought would have been the easier route to 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 make that happen. But you're saying that a philosophical change could very well be coming just by looking at the moves they made on the offensive line. You're thinking that's that's entirely possible, well, th- which is intriguing. I'm thinking to it's me. possible just one because of the offensive line moves, but two because. We heard Pete Carroll talk about it at the combine that he's like he admitted that the offense is better when they go to the hurry up. He admitted that, uh, you know, the offense is better when they let Wilson, you know, control things a little more. Um, If you if you're going to come out and admit those things, 
and then not do them? Like, what are you saying? You're saying that, oh, we know this makes us better, but we're going to not do it. You're just admitting that you're trying to not be as good as you could be. And I don't think Pete Carroll is going to be the only the only change they've made other than the offensive line is to add Greg Olson to the mix. I mean, to me, that doesn't to me, you can make that philosophical change, but you still have to add a, a couple of pieces. I so I think that they are coming and possibly in the draft, I think they go out and get a nice little speedy wide receiver. They have to take advantage. You can't go through this draft and not take advantage of the wide receiver class that's sitting there in front of you. So I think that is possibly a, a major move that could really help the offense take the, I'm saying it, take the lid off the defense. I know that you said we've got a couple of pieces that already do that, but to add one more to the mix ensures the fact that it's going to get done. And I think that's where they need to, need to be yeah. if, if that changes but because happening. it's a super deep draft at wide receiver <clears throat> you don't have to invest a lot of draft capital out of it because a guy that would normally go in the third round uh because there's a really good group of wide receivers this year that player might go in the late four um you know what i mean so because it's just the way that mm-hmm. is um and so you might you don't have to use one of your top picks to get a guy that's going to be an, an impactful player. Um, it, it goes back to the um, to the Quill Griffin year, right? That was a year that was I that agree. Was a year that was solid and very, very, very strong at cornerback. And the CX needed a cornerback, but rather than going and taking one in the first round like everyone wanted, um, they waited and they waited and they waited and they, all the way you know till the third round, which is where they got Griffin, and he ended up being better. Than a lot of the first round guys that uh, the Seahawks fans wanted them to take, so uh, you can you can do that uh, in a year where a position group is is got a lot of of a lot of extra talent, and I think that's what they do at wide receiver this year. Nice, cool. All right, let's wrap this thing up. So we've talked about maybe coming back a couple times a week during this period of time. Uh, at least through probably the draft and, and reevaluate. But, uh, so you may see us again this week on a, on another show. Um, so any final thoughts, uh, what's coming up? Uh, obviously we'll, we'll keep up with free agency. Uh, we'll probably start talking about players. Uh, it looks like uh, the draft is definitely going to be impacted as far as the way that they proceed with the draft, but it looks like the draft itself is going to remain, um, in place and take place and so forth. Um, but we need to start talking about some players and, uh, all that kind of stuff too, as, as, uh, the free agency kind of winds down. Yeah. So all that's coming. Um, we're also going to use our extra shows, uh, here to take a look at what the rest of the division has done, because, you know, if the Seahawks get better or worse or whatever, I mean, it's all has to be relative to what your, what your division's doing and, or not doing. And so we'll, we'll have a look at that. Uh, and, you know, get us all ready for the draft yeah. and, and the rest of the off season. Cool. Awesome. I'm totally looking forward to that because this is a great uh, thing for us to be able to do. But hopefully uh, everyone out there can break away from whatever's going on and sit in on a show and uh, get lost for, for an hour plus uh, every week. So, all right. So until next time, follow Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all the shows and you can find us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe so you make sure you have the show uh, automatically show up in your feed every single time so until next time Keith go Hawks
Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week and go Hawks. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.